This is Cultivating Place. I'm Jennifer Jewell. In honor of the losses, griefs, revisions, and transformations in our world this last year, and in honor of the hopes we all hold in our gardens and our hearts for 2021, we welcome today the muscular voice and vision of Duran Chavis. Duran is an urban farmer, community activist, and advocate in Richmond, Virginia. He started his career at the Black History Museum and Cultural Center of Virginia, and while there, in 2003, he founded the highly acclaimed Happily Natural Day Festival in Richmond, a movement which has grown to include a citywide resiliency garden initiative. In the past decade, Duran has initiated social justice-minded farmers' markets. He has transformed green spaces throughout the metro region into urban gardens, farms, orchards, and vineyards. Among other civic services, he has been a member of the inaugural Citizens Advisory Board for the Office of Community Wealth Building and also manager of community engagement for the city's Lewis Ginter Botanical Garden, helping to begin the work of transforming this public garden from being a, quote, monochromatic island, end quote, to a fully functioning community partner. Duran Chavis, I am so pleased to welcome you today, to welcome your passion and your voice. Hello. Welcome. I appreciate, you know, the opportunity to be on your platform. The heart of your work is certainly around being voice and uh, force for uh, community building and reshifting of how we articulate this horticultural world. I would love for you to share for listeners your current relationship to plants and gardens. And, you know, would you identify yourself as a gardener, maybe even? That's a good question. Um, Well, my relationship to plants and place, I think the best way I would describe it is that I'm an urban farmer, even beyond, you know, being a farmer. I see, I see my relationship to plants as, you know, I, I, I feel like I'm being used by nature in ways, but I found my footing in this uh, world of gardening, farming, agriculture, uh, specifically as a tool to transform the built environment. But at the same time, it's for me, it's about how do we regenerate uh, communities, how do we regenerate uh, our geospatial reality? You know, how do we take uh, plants and, 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 and use them or work with them as tools for social justice? Um, that's, that's really my relationship with them is that, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like symbiotic uh, in a way that I rely on just like all of us uh, plants for my livelihood um, in a literal sense and in a, and in a very, you know, uh, uh, existential sense as well. I, I mean, you know, my work around food justice, um, my work around climate justice uh, centers is centered by plants. Um, I spent a lot of time trying to teach people how to nurture uh, plants, 
so that they can nurture them, right? Um, whether it be through food or whether it be through climate justice or whether it just be through the act of beautification. I love this recurring theme of partnership already between um, us and plants and plants and our built environment and built being both literal and, you know, the social and architectural structures that we find ourselves surrounded by um, at this point. And that I feel so many of, of us, I, I will say, um, are trying to be more conscious about what has been built and what we want to keep and what we want to rebuild. Um, certainly in the horticultural world and, and what that means as, as gardeners in this world. The, you know, I, I, I know you have a really long and interesting story that uh, I, I would love to ask you to share, you know, how you came to be interested in these things, your earliest influences, however old you might have been when this happened, in terms of places and people and experiences that pulled you toward your current interest and passions for partnering plants and people to make things both more seen and uh, more equitable and just better. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, my earliest. I mean, when I was young, young as in uh, preteen, you know, my family uh, were uh, stationed in Hanau, Germany, outside of Frankfurt. And, you know, my earliest memories of being in nature were uh, the Volks marches that we did as elementary school students where we will march, we will hike uh, through the woods as an annual kind of endeavor. Um, you know, it, it didn't dawn on me at that moment that, you know, that those experiences would, would leave, you know, impact. But as I look back in hindsight, you know, I have memories of that and it, and it really resonates with me, just the opportunities to, you know, commune in nature in that way at a young age. Um, but the more resonant realities of me connecting with plants uh, is exuded uh, through, you know, our work with Happily Natural Day. Uh, Happily Natural Day uh, is, a, is a festival that we started in 2003 designed to address cultural identity in the African community. Uh, but also to highlight holistic health and wellness and social change. And the holistic health and wellness part, you know, lives squarely around people using plants um, as tools, as, as ingredients for, you know, holistic health products, whether it be, you know, skincare, body care, you know, supplements or even alternative medicines. Um, the, craftsmen and healers and 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 uh, 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 artisans who would who would uh, uh, showcase their products at the at, at the festival would all be using different plant-based uh, materials to develop their products uh, ie natural of course but 
um, beyond that, um, even more intimate, uh, the festival would draw forth people across, you know, the spectrum of the African American experience, and particularly, uh, I was uh, honored and humbled to to draw forth African American farmers uh, who would bring, you know, their harvests to the festival for sale, you know, um, as you know, really to address the food component. But the relationship that I have with those farmers uh, deepened over the years. I mean, from 2003 to 2007, they would always come to showcase their wares. But one farmer in particular, uh, Renard Turner of Vanguard Ranch here in Virginia, outside of Gordonsville, became you know, somewhat of a mentor. We would talk regularly about uh, the importance of uh, food security in our, in, our, in our community. And, you know, uh, from those conversations, we would evolve to having a more closer kind of relationship um, as we started doing pop-up markets um, and communities that lacked access to healthy food, us connecting farmers directly to those communities through the sale of uh, hyperlocal produce. And we did that work uh, from 2008 uh, to 2000. Now, actually, we still, we still do that work, uh, not in the same way that we originally did it, but um, it was in 2012 after sitting with these farmers every Saturday you know, for the entire summer uh, that I would learn, I would get this de facto education from them about when to plant, why planting uh, during, you know, a full moon was important, you know, uh, why uh, people uh, were helping people understand the difference between GMOs and hybrids and heirloom varieties, you know, discussions about uh, growing food instead of lawns and discussing why people would choose to grow rose bushes uh, versus growing food for their own, you know, health. And these these men, these these elders, you know, were pouring into me in a way that you know, I didn't really anticipate getting into gardening. But um, as time would progress, I started to feel an obligation to use this wisdom that they had been sharing with me. And um, in 2012, we started our first garden, uh, community garden, uh, McDonough Community Garden here in Richmond, Virginia. And, uh, you know, that, 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 that act of planting something, of developing a, a garden space in the middle of a neighborhood was really catalytic for me. It, 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 it it changed the way that I looked at activism. It changed the way that I related uh, to the built environment. And it made me more, uh, I wanna say pressed or more pressured to deal with uh, deeper levels of, of, of tangible practical reality change in our communities versus rhetorical consciousness and policy change. I was really on the other side of the conversation, just trying to advocate for people to think differently, 
you know, to, to try to change policy and things like that. But when I got my hands in the dirt, it was like, yo, there's a whole nother world here that we haven't been discussing as, as community advocates. And, and that's how do we get people connected back to the land and how do we get access to land, you know, considering the racist uh, policies and systemic institutional oppression that people of African ancestry have, have experienced in this country and indigenous people specifically around land tenure, around land loss, and around land access and land justice. So, you know, my relationship to uh, to plants, it was like an evolution. I try to tell people that I fell backwards into gardening. It wasn't it wasn't a, a, a thing that I was actively in pursuit of, but as a result of the work that I was doing in community, it showed up and grabbed me and pulled me into a whole nother dimension of you know, work that needs to be done um, in terms of equity and in terms of social justice. I, um, as a gardener who has a very strong faith in gardening as transformational and as one of these inter often underused intersectional spaces for possible change, um, I love that story, Duran. So you, you are grown by these farmers after the universe calls on you to, to found the happily natural day and festival. And it's very intentionally articulated work to reframe beauty, to reframe, uh, what is standard and what is, um, celebrated in our world from your city to my city, to our country, to the whole globe, uh, in some ways, you know, in other parts of the globe, it's better. You share, uh, in a lot of your, um, talks and writing how it was a very different experience being a young person in Germany mm -hmm. than what you came back to in Richmond. But, you know, I, it, there is this, this universality to, to this, um, right. and how we, how we have seen or have centered or been told uh, what beauty means, what right. nourishment means. Right. You, so I, I love this progression of you starting this festival, this, these farmers being there, them growing you and you falling backward into gardening as a way to re-see what activism can be or can do. How do you then go from this first really transformational experience at the um, the, commu the McDonough Community Garden? How do you it, it you sort of begin transforming more green spaces and yeah. you begin really advocating for urban gardens as entrepreneurial opportunities to help reset equity? Talk to us about that next step after you have fallen backward into gardening as an activism partner. Yeah, certainly. So, you know, when I, when I delved into the world of community gardening, you know, it was really around, you know, me trying to learn, you know, what, and, and experiencing what gardening was about. Um, but again, I was always connected to these farmers. So my, my context for gardening was around how do we 
you know, look at space and how do we look at plants as tools to, uh, you know, address poverty in our community. Um, you know, growing food as an act of resistance on, you know, there's layers to that conversation. I mean, of course, you know, we could start with the idea of gardening as a, as a, as just a hobby or something that, you know, you do for your own personal, you know, therapy, right? You know, people commune with nature specifically, you know, for the, 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 the benefits that it brings to us in terms of reduction in our anxieties and, and just the mindfulness opportunities that exist in that work. Uh, but then, you know, for me, it was important uh, to elevate it uh, to another conversation about how, you know, producing food for oneself can address your, you know, your grocery bill, right? And, and then simultaneously, it was centered around this conversation around communities lacking access to healthy food, i.e. they're not being grocery stores in neighborhoods. And, you know, what do we do to uh, build agency uh, for communities and, and help to, you know, catalyze visions for self-determination in terms of people having access to uh, food but in a way that they grew it, right? That they don't have to rely on the food pantry, you know, or the food bank, you know, which gives out so much processed food uh, as a as a as an act of charity. How do we how do we teach men and women how to fish instead of giving them fish? And and from there, like it 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 there's another layer where it's 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 about you know, how can we teach people how to, you know, enter into markets, you know, selling the produce that they've grown and selling the products that they've developed from the produce and, and, and agricultural commodities that they've grown. Um, so for me, it was all those things at the same time, right? Uh, I came into the space with the vision of developing a garden, but surely, uh, wrapped around that development of the garden where all of these other realities overlaid on top of the green space. Um, so I came to it with the, with the idea that this is a tool, this is a, this act of, 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 of greening a space, this act of growing food can uh, be a, a way of, of mitigating uh, social inequities. And, you know, it was also grounded in the reality that something had been done to people of African ancestry, people of indigenous ancestry. You know, when this, when this ground, you know, I live in Virginia, when this ground was colonized, you know, colonists came and took land from indigenous people and, 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 and outlawed uh, the ownership of land for people of African ancestry. And so creating this really sharp dichotomy between who could do things on land and who could not, right? And that reality, uh, even in a, an even in a, a urban setting, had 
had had was haunted or is haunted by you know slavery it's haunted by jim crow discrimination it's haunted by racial terrorism you know as african people would move from rural areas where they had to grow their own food and where they had access to space and land and acres but the context was you know the clan and even if people weren't members of the clan the social norm of black people being you know terrorized by people and their policies uh you know and moving from their rural space into urban space urban settings and trying to adapt right um but it, it for me you know living in the city i never had a gardening experience i didn't have i mean i had grandparents that lived in you know the count the country the counties surrounding the city uh, where you know they had gardens and things like that but i never really had that that experience of like spending the summer with my grandparents and picking chucking peas and all that because we lived in germany but you know coming back into this space of uh reconnecting with the land it, it, it just filled me with so much optimism in terms of the potential for uh urban agriculture uh the potential for sustainable agriculture and the reconnection of people of african ancestry to these tools uh who have been you know disconnected by virtue of the racial terrorism in the south and 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 the lack of land access living in urban sectors I'm Jennifer Jewell, and this is Cultivating Place. We're joined today by Duran Chavis, urban farmer, leader, and activist in Richmond, Virginia. We'll be right back for more of Duran's passionate voice in our green world. Stay with us. Hey, it's Jennifer. In this last show of 2020... For some reason, while thinking about this conversation with Duran, the phrase gardening out loud came to me in relation to how he gardens his world, our world. His voice is strong and clear and loud, fierce and loving. As gardeners, we know we can sometimes be quiet about our love and calling to this activity. It can be an inward, and solo engagement. You all also know that I am proud to be a gardener. I am. I am proud of gardeners in this world. But there is plenty that is hard to know about our gardened world. It is hard to see, let alone say. And in this knowledge of harm that the garden world has done and does do, from employing chemicals against our interdependent green and more-than-human planet mates, to cultural diminishment, destruction, and erasure, to complicit and overt perpetuation of an economy based on a consumeristic worldview that does not serve any greater good. There is plenty from far before 2020 that we are haunted by. But as with anything scary, hauntings or shames or griefs, often the best and sometimes only way 
to process and therefore compost them into something generative moving forward is to speak them out loud. Duran very much gardens out loud. If you and your garden, or me and mine, were to be out loud in this world, in this coming year, what would we say? What would our gardens and we as gardeners sound like? What curses could the spoken praise songs of such gardening out loud lift for us? What could they grow us up and out of and into for 2021? If you feel called to share some of this out loud gardening for 2021 with me, you know where to reach me. Cultivatingplace at gmail.com or in the comments section of this week's posts on Instagram at cultivating underscore place. I will be listening for your out loudness as well. We're back now to our conversation with Duran Chavis, urban farmer and founder of Richmond, Virginia's Happily Natural Day Festival and the year-round resilience gardening work included in that. As we come back, Duran shares with us how his work progressed from community-based work to his tenure at Richmond's Lewis Ginter Botanical Garden. Before I got to Lewis Ginter, you know, I worked for Virginia State University as the director of the Harding Tree Urban Ag Center, which was an opportunity to do indoor ag where we did aquaponics and hydroponics and solar on the roof and you know, orchards and many farms and composting stations. So by the time I got to Lewis Ginter in 2016, you know, mind you, I started my first community garden in 2012. Uh, But in that span of four years, I had developed so many types of green spaces, but my focus was purely urban agriculture, purely around how do we produce food to address these social equity inequities. And, you know, when I accepted the job at Lewis Ginter, it was under the auspices, explicit auspices of being able to develop training program that was culturally, you know, written in the job description that was culturally relevant. And so I saw that as an opportunity to craft curriculum that would connect community specifically to the work that I had already been doing. But what was intriguing is that, you know, I had to go through a lot to get the job. I mean, as a black man with activism background, um, you know, it was not like it was it was not an easy walking through the door. You know what I mean? Because my race and identity, you know, clashed and conflicted with the with the with the visage and identity of you know, this, 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 again, like I use the word monochromatic institution, but it's a predominantly white institution and it's a very classist and elitist space. You know, these uh, botanical gardens all across the country are bastions of what it means for wealth to be concentrated in the hands of predominantly white people and them using that wealth to build these castles 
you know, all across the country, right? The first botanical garden is a former a former plantation in, in, in South Carolina. So, and, and, and enslaved hands built it. So that, that history and that reality was not lost on me as I walked into the doors, but the, you know, the, the, the conversation of the leadership was such that they really desired to do a different thing and to, uh, you know, engage communities that were not at the table, that were not coming to the garden. And so I, wa I walked into that space, you know, with that energy of like, okay, we're going to be doing some transformational work here at the garden, but also that that transformational work internally at the garden would also be transformational, ex transformational externally in the communities that surrounded the garden. So that's that two, that two, those two pivots, those two, you know, that yin and the yang, that inside and outside work for me uh, was exciting. And it's, it still is exciting when I think back at, you know, what, you know, I walked into. Um, but I think personally, I underestimated how entrenched, you know, some of these ideas of uh, implicit bias, you know, these uh, just what racism and white supremacy does. You know, we know that the origins of botanical gardens are around colonization and the taking of indigenous plant materials from all across the globe and housing them in these spaces. Uh, we know that, you know, garden clubs were exclusive to white women, right? And that they would not, you know, they, they only would uh, bring in other white women across the country, you know? Um, so we know that black people weren't really uh, uh, desired in that space other than being the help. And I saw that at Lewis Ginter as well, is that, you know, the black people that worked there were in housekeeping and, you know, worked in the cafeteria. So it was, so that's still that dichotomy of, you know, white people on the top, black people on the bottom, this whole hierarchy of human value was something that ached within me as I, as I worked in that space. But I, you know, internalized the opportunity as, you know, one where we could we could utilize the resources of this institution that had wealth uh, that was founded, you know, with, with millions of dollars from an endowment uh, that uh, would be able to, we would be able to utilize those resources to transform communities outside of the gates of that space. While at the same time, hopefully, the presence of the work that was happening in externally would help to shift uh, perceptions, uh, ideologies, and mindsets, you know, within the institution itself, that the culture of the botanical garden would have to evolve as a result of the work that was being done externally. And so I came in with that, with that spirit and that energy. And for the years that we worked there, um, we, we continuously clashed with, you know, those mindsets and the realities of race um, uh, and, and, and not only Richmond, Virginia, but just in the botanical public garden, you know, world at, as at a whole. Yeah, it, it was a very stark reality that, you know, I would go to conferences and there would be no, you know, there would be five, six hundred, you know, thousands of people, uh, you know, a thousand people at a conference. 
and I could count on my hands how many people of African ancestry were there or people of color, period, that were there, you know. And all of these organizations were wrestling with the same issues like that, you know, across the board from, you know, San Diego to, you know, Hamilton, Canada, you know, Canada to, you know, Atlanta, Georgia, you know, all of these botanical gardens were facing the same reality that they, as a result of this culture of racism and white supremacy, they didn't have any people of color involved in that space. And so, you know, I think that this, uh, this, this, this showed me that there are people within these institutions as botanical gardens that desire to shift these realities, but it's a hard work for one or two individuals who are maybe in leadership to steer these institutions into a more equitable practice and inclusive culture uh, uh, in their in their spaces, and it's 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 great word smithing that's used to to articulate that desire. But the practice of bringing those communities that are not at the table into the table is harrowing, and it's it's a it's a horrific uh, experience for people of color to be in those spaces and and to be you know, uh, tokenized in ways or for them to be used, you know, as kind of like uh, marketing to try to get more people into the, into the doors. And so I experienced that, you know what I mean? But uh, at the same time, we did really amazing work in community. Uh, so I take the, you know, my elders say, you know, take the meat and throw away the bone. And so uh, the meat of the work that we were able to do while at the botanical garden was the training of over 80 individuals and community the transformation of dozens of green spaces and community the planting of hundreds of fruit trees and shrubs and the development of you know shade structures and rainwater catchment systems the addressing of urban heat island effects and stormwater management and you know, the creation of new relationships and community as a result of those green spaces, you know, that, that work that we've done in that space is uh, priceless. But at the same time, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's hard to, uh, you know, to, 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 to look back and, and think, wow, you know what I'm saying, that these, these institutions you know, there's so much work that needs to be done, but there's nothing that glues those institutions to doing that work, right? It's like, it's, it's, it's based on the leadership that exists in those spaces at that moment, you know, even though these institutions are beginning to understand the importance of biodiversity, you know, as climate change harkens upon all of us across the, across the, country across the planet you know we see that reflected in the ways that these institutions design their landscapes you know and they can articulate how important it is for us to not plant monoculture or monocultures in terms of our plant materials in these spaces but the moment you bring up the need for social biodiversity 
in terms of the people that actually are leaders and staff and visitors of that space, it becomes one of the most silent of rooms that one could ever find himself or herself within. And that's the, that's the trauma of, the, of this, is that we understand that we need interdependent communities when it comes to plants. But when we talk about people, all of a sudden we have cognitive dissonance and why that's important and how we do that. It's a wild, it's a wild, 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 wild theme to engage when we talk about race and botanical gardens. I'm Jennifer Jewell, and this is Cultivating Place. We're joined today, this final week of 2020, by Duran Chavis, urban farmer, leader, and activist based in Richmond, Virginia. Okay, so (laughs) thinking out loud this week. In the final section of my conversation with Duran, he says this, quote, People, plants, and places, there's a soul and a spirit that interweaves between these three things. The people in these spaces and the plants that they choose and use become the fabric, the fabric of us all living on this planet. As I look back on this year in the garden and the garden community, with the voices and plants and gardens from around the world joining in with us in these garden life conversations, I have grown. I have deepened. I have cried and been saddened and been angry and grieved plenty. But in the crucible, or maybe it's a womb of the garden, and maybe it's both, With all of you in conversations like this one, I have been grown. And if there is anything the garden teaches, shares, shows, and knows, it is that there is always more to learn. There is always more to let go of. And there is always more growing into to do. So glad to be growing together with you. Thank you for being here with me on this Garden Life journey. Here's to another year. We're back now to our final conversation of 2020, speaking with Duran Chavis, urban farmer and founder of Richmond's Happily Natural Day Festival. As we come back, Duran and I speak more about how changing things for the better in our gardening world is not a single person's work or responsibility, rather the courageous and radically vulnerable work of us all in our own gardens and radiating out into the wider world from there. Yes, I definitely concur. It's all of our responsibility. Yeah. And, and, and you know, that's, that's the piece that I've learned as we've done this work is that people, plants, and places, like there's a soul and a spirit that interweaves between those three things, right? That the people in these spaces 
you know, the plants that they choose, that they use, become the fabric that we are able to connect, right? We all live on this planet. And one of my favorite sayings, uh, one of my elders, his name is Tariq Oduno. Baba Oduno tells us that there is no culture without agriculture, right? And I, I, let me back up though, because when I got, well, I, this is an interesting kind of lane to, to, to delve in. When I first got to Lewis Ginter, there was a question posed to me. And it was one of, you know, could I embrace horticulture given that I had lived in this world of agriculture? And it was a very interesting question because for me, I hadn't really noticed the nuance between the two, right? That there was a horticulture over here and an agriculture over there. And I was kind of fascinated with this dichotomy, right? But what I earned by virtue of doing this work at a botanical garden, by the way, was an appreciation for plants that were non-food producing, but are just as important in the landscape, right? So when I think about trees and shrubs and native plants and, you know, uh, even beyond plants, when I think about fungi and soil health, you know, those were things that I was tapping into in the agricultural sense, but my world expanded by virtue of entering into this scientific world of horticulture. You know, I, I didn't go to college for any of this. This is all stuff that I walked into by virtue of my activism, right? But this horticultural world, this idea of it being a fine art, this idea of urban garden design or you know garden design, landscape design, is something that while it is definitely centered in terms of development that happens in urban spaces and you know uh, cities you know across the country, but the botanical garden world has this thing down to a science. I mean, it's the, these are the best examples of the utilizations of uh, plants uh, for visual spectacle. It's something that I, I, I garnered a deeper appreciation for, but at the same time, you know, the social justice equity space of this as it relates to urban heat islands, as it relates to you know stormwater management, as it as it relates to climate resiliency, those things became priority in terms of this work and married themselves to the work that we did that we do in terms of food justice and urban agriculture in a much more deliberate and intentional way. And so, being in that space and holding those themes and understanding how communities of color are disproportionately affected by those environmental injustices, right? I always have seen, since being in this space, I've always felt as though there are no institutions better equipped to address you know, the, the, the realities of climate resiliency that are necessary in, you know, these communities 
across the country. And I've, t- I've talked to people from, you know, the, the lady that runs Atlanta, the Atlanta Botanical Garden to the folks that run the Pennsylvania Horticultural Society to the folks that run the Denver Botanical Garden. Like this is the work of horticulture in this moment. All of those folks that have, you know, this amazing audience of retired, you know, white women that, you know, like to do their garden parties, you know, like there's a deeper work that can be done to address, you know, the realities that communities of color are facing across the country. And it just, the, the, the primary shift that has to occur is deeper and deeper levels of empathy, right? And beyond just empathy, just this commitment to humility and acknowledging the, the exclusion that has occurred and doing the opposite, right? But for some reason, if it's not financially expeditious for some organizations, it, it's not, it doesn't rise high to the level of uh, a priority one. But we know that communities that have been formerly redlined, there was a New York Times story that just came out uh, last week that talked about formerly redlined communities being hotter than other communities, right? The lack of tree canopy, the lack of green space affects those communities in ways that people die due to heat-related illness. And we already knew about the food issues, right? And we all aspire to deeper levels of localization of, 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 of food. But all of those you know, social issues require a commitment right, to justice that has been elusive in some ways, but I feel like, you know, it's like this, this, it's like a jewel that is inside of a dragon's cave. And it takes folks being like courageous and brave to be vulnerable because you can't get past the dragon unless you let your guard down. This is a, this is the reality of race in our community and our, in our society across our globe for communities of colors that we live a totally different reality than people of European ancestry. But the need for uh, people of European ancestry to be vulnerable enough and courageous enough to engage and share the resources, like that fear, that dragon that hoards over you know, the answers that could be the, the, the equity that we could all have is the only impasse, that fear. I don't know what it's about. I think it's, I think parts of it live in some sort of uh, fear of failure or, you know, just a lack of understanding of the importance or even just a kind of like, I don't know, dismissal. Like it can't be, it can't be my responsibility to do this. Um, I, I, there are a couple of things that I want to follow up on. One is going back to your uh, early description of garden clubs as being this these exclusionary bastions of of white women, uh, which they which they are, but they were born out of 
women being excluded from horticultural societies. At some point, this was put into place and the horticultural societies became just educated white men and therefore, you know, the women of all colors. And, And we keep getting segregated and segregated and segregated. And our fear, in my mind, comes back to a lack mindset that somehow if I share what I have, I will have less. But if we learn anything from the garden, it is that the more you share, the more you have. The more seeds you collect and you share with others, the more seeds there are. And so that that fear, I think, needs to be faced by all of us, by, by me I, I I just and then the one more thing before I lose the thought, Duran, is that uh, is the, your word empathy, right? And the root of the word empathy has to do with I can relate to what you are saying. It's not I feel bad for you or or you know I want to help you. It is I actually can understand and relate to what someone else is saying or seeing or knowing, and that relationship. Thanks then comes back to the complexity of that weird question you were asked, like, could you embrace horticulture having been in agriculture? And it's such a false question. It is a false choice because that is a human construct. Agriculture and horticulture are nothing but the exact same thing, just in a slightly different variation. It is Part of it is we have to recognize these false constructs and these false questions so that we can spark our our empathy and move from that impulse right, right. yes I, I definitely concur I, I concur and so part of the work that we like took on while doing our culturally relevant curriculum implementation uh the Ginter Urban Gardener program is that we taught people agriculture we taught people horticulture but we also held space for what we like to call or what I like to call like experiential learning, you know, and, and dialogue based learning. Right. And one of the themes or the theme that we utilize that, uh, that, that was that created an incubator for such dialogue was this idea of community trust building. This idea is not something that I came up with. I was part of an organization called initiatives of change here in, uh, Richmond, Virginia, they put together these uh, fellowships that address the idea of race, but through the eye, through the lens of uh, how do we build trust in community, right? And so I think that that particular theme, that trust is not something, you know, that is just given, right? It's something that is earned, it's something that is cultivated, it's something that's developed, right, over time. Right. And, 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 and that it requires, you know, vulnerability. It requires, you know, relationship building. It requires an acknowledgement of history. It, it requires, you know, an attention to someone else's narrative being just as important as your own. Right. And also a heavy emphasis on truth and transparency. Right. And honesty, like these are very big words. But when it comes down to like the world of plants, it's like we can have a whole dialogue about okra that would allow us to have a conversation about race. We can have a whole conversation about, you know, guinea 
hens and chicken, right? And have whole dialogues about food narratives and food pathways or food stories that would help us articulate what has happened in our country, right? But all of these roads lead us back to the same premise that today we have a work to do. And, 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 and I think that the, the more courageous of us, the more brave of us are listening more than they're talk, we're talking. And we have a theory of change that lives in, I'm looking for the highest self within you when we engage and that our work together, even if it doesn't shift you know, the balance of power that it shifts, the, it shifts, you know, a, a existential reality between us two and that we can multiply that effect by continuously engaging with others and building the new reality that we can agree needs to come to life. I mean, I feel like connecting back to the land in the ways that I've been, uh, you know, whether it was through farming, uh, or the planting of a community garden. It's like I build a different relationship with people that that meet me in that space. You know what I mean? Like there's 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 a there's a different type of connection, and the connection lives around. You know, we're learning how to be loyal, how to commit to one another, how to uh, how to be sensitive to each other as we engage these spaces you know we're learning how to trust one another like i gotta believe that you're gonna show up right because when i'm doing these spaces it's like i don't you know i can't do it by myself right so our interdependence starts in the square of this raised bed that says hey we're connecting here to do something that's bigger than the both of us, right? And at this space, it's improving the air quality. It's improving the water quality. It's providing access to food. It's creating new wildlife habitat. But it starts with me and you saying we're going to do this together, right? And then beginning to, you know, learn what it means to work as a community, right? And so it's like, we use this word community, but all I've ever, all, what I've learned in these spaces is that all of this work, this earth work, this connection back to the land is a communal work, right? It's not an individual thing. And, it, and, 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 and it's not an individual thing on a very me, Ron Chavis level. And it's not an individual thing on a botanical garden you know, level either, because these institutions have to be collaborative and work together in order to really get to the root causes of the problems that we see, you know, in, uh, in our society. I mean, and it's not, it's like, it is about plants, but it's so not about plants. It's like, it's, it's like, what is the life force that is, you know, imbued in plants, animals, human beings, the planet itself, like what is the heartbeat that draws, that gives life to all of that? And how do we create and cultivate, you know, 
the environment that allows everyone to live to their fullest, you know, uh, potential. And I think that 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 that's that's like it sounds. It might sound a little bit like hippie to even get that deep, but I feel like if we can appreciate life on a level of of an aster or a coneflower, but we can't appreciate life in terms of our common humanity, then it's like we missed the bus somewhere, right? It's like, I got so, I, I could pay, you know, millions of dollars to cultivate this botanical garden, but when it comes down to paint, to investing millions of dollars to transform communities so that people can breathe in their community, right? It's like, what kind of, what kind of story, what kind of, what kind of narrative have you been taught where you can't see value in those neighborhoods need trees because people are dying from asthma because it's too hot. But we can build up this conservatory for $9 million in this space that doesn't have, you know, access by public transportation and that predominantly only white people come to. There's a there's a there's a certain type of spiritual war that lives in between, you know, those realities. And I think that, you know, that's a wrestling that each individual has to do. But I feel like, you know, if we can meet on the level of just in, in these micro spaces, it makes it an easier transition and an easier evolution for the, uh, for our social ecology uh, to have happen. With COVID-19, your work at Lewis Gintner is on pause, maybe, maybe forever, maybe temporarily. What is your next work, Duran? What is the next embodiment of what you are doing and uh, if there are ways that listeners can support you, please share them. Oh man. Um, so, uh, after I got laid off, I took my final check from Lewis Skinner and I started, I, well, I took Happily Natural Day and made it and turned it into a nonprofit. Um, the work that was in, you know, was, was in motion when, you know, uh, the reduction in force happened at the garden was the Resiliency Garden project and this work of supporting community members and their need for food security and the context of having to be socially distanced. Um, so we've been building raised bed boxes for community members. We've, we're over 275 boxes now uh, in five months uh, and we're giving them away. You know what I mean? There's no cost associated. You just request the box. Uh, and the reason why we did that is because, you know, we already knew people felt pressure. People were being laid off from their jobs as a result of the pandemic. You know, uh, food is getting expensive, more expensive as a result of the pandemic. So our goal was to inspire people to start to grow their food. And we're, we're on task with that. I mean, we're developing, uh, garden spaces, more garden spaces, we're farming, we're doing more training. The work for me looks like land access and more resources to train community to build their resiliency 
to these crises that are, you know, evolving and bubbling up, you know, climate is a thing. The climate stuff is becoming more and more of a reality in light of COVID, right? As farmers feel the pressures from flooding, from drought, food prices are going up. But at the same time, you know, we got this pandemic that's keeping people from being able to be out and grow the food. So, you know, our work is trying to address that. Is, is our work is, is trying to address that in a culturally relevant way uh, and, and, and reconnect communities of color, specifically African-American communities back to the land. So I aspire in the years to come to do work with community land trusts to create collective ownership of land that addresses affordable housing as well as agriculture and the need for public green space. I uh, serve on the board of, a, of Maggie Walker Community Land Trust here in Richmond, Virginia. Um, but I'm also working with the Agrarian Trust based out of Massachusetts to identify properties that could be utilized for public green space as well as urban agriculture and affordable housing. Um, I look forward to uh, continuing to help cultivate the next generation of growers, reconnecting people back to the land and and, and doing that in a way where they're introduced to sustainable growing practices for whatever they may desire to grow, whether it be ornamentals or, you know, heirloom uh, uh, tomatoes, right? Um, my hope is that, you know, I can create more uh, uh, impact and community via training folks and supporting them and their opportunities to grow and being what I needed when I first started doing this work, right? Like showing up and, 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 and having tools, having plant material, having funding available. Like those are the things I aspire to do in this next step. Is there anything else you would like to add? I just wanna say, man, I appreciate having this type of discourse, right? And that, you know, our planet, right? Our neighborhoods, our communities, our countries, like the land that we stand on, right? Is, 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 is yearning for regeneration, right? And we see it in all of the, the tropical storms, the fires, all of these things look like the earth saying, hey, listen, we need a rest and we're trying to get back to balance. And I urge all the listeners, people that are paying attention to heed the call and also to think about ways that we could be intentional and deliberate around building equity for communities of color who have been displaced that are disproportionately affected by all of what is happening right now. Um, it's our responsibility and it, it's, 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 you know, no, if we don't do it, then who, right? We can't keep kicking a bucket down the road. And I would say, um, you know, just to, to add to that, because I, I hear it in your voice, the way I feel it in my experience is it's not even just, it is responsibility, but it's not just responsibility. It's also that joy, that shared communal oh, yeah. joy and spark that, that oh, you found in your first community garden with your elders 
and that we would ex- like I am experiencing it right here virtually over this raised bed that you and I are metaphorically talking about and it's that joy that will keep us going oh god yes i mean this is there's if this work did not bring me joy i wouldn't be doing it this is the my life has changed this has changed my worldview it's like the moments that i have in the garden are the most amazing moments that I have ever experienced in life. And the fact that I have, I have children, my, my sons, you know, they participate in the stuff. My, my partner, uh, Nakaya Ellis, she participates in this work. It's infectious. The, 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 the beauty of it, the, 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 the smiles, the warmth, the support of one another, the cooperation, the collaboration, all of that stuff yes. is what the world needs right now. And I've been getting yeah. it, you know, every day, in the garden and I'm like, yo, y'all need to come get on this. This is amazing. Like, I don't know why, but, uh, right. you know, everybody don't have the garden, but come and get yes. some of this goodness that's bubbling up from us regenerating our community, man. It's an amazing, an amazing, I, I don't even know what to call it. It's just a, it's a spirit, man. It's a spirit of, of empowerment. It's a spirit of, you know, joy. It's a spirit of ecstasy. It's beautiful just it's beautiful. to be in that space and see what we can do when we come together. Thank you very, very much for being a guest on the program today. It has been my true pleasure to speak with you. This is a great conversation. This is the type of stuff that I live for. I appreciate you. Thank you for giving me a chance to to vibe with you on on this today. Duran Chavis is an urban farmer community activist, and vocal, passionate advocate in Richmond, Virginia. We all need food, we all need beauty, and we all need connection, in our gardens and out. In honor of the losses, griefs, revisions, and transformations in our world this last year, and in honor of the hopes we all hold in our gardens and our hearts for 2021, On this winter threshold, when we need rest and reflection, when we might be seeking comfort and joy, it also strikes me that we need continued strength training, too, for this coming year. As gardeners and caring souls in this gardened world, we will continue to need both our well-tended, gentle, soft openness and our fierce and fortified endurance as we grow the world we want to see. This is good growing work. Join us again in the new year when our first episode of 2021 kicks off a Fresh Starts-themed series. And we start off in the garden classroom, as it were, joined by Tim Johnson, director of the Botanical Garden of Smith College, and Jamila DePeza-Kern, a current horticultural student involved with the garden. Listen in next week as we kick off our new year. Cultivating Place is a co-production of North State Public Radio and listener-supported by all of you through the support button at the top right-hand corner of every page at cultivatingplace.com. 
on the website every week, you can always find more information and many images illustrating the week's episode and for expanded versions of each week's show. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast so you'll never miss out. And many thanks to all of you who have helped us grow by sharing the program forward with others. I am so grateful to have grown through 2020 with all of you. Happy New Year, gardeners. Our show producer and engineer is Matt Fiddler. Original theme music is by Ma Muse, accompanied by Joe Craven and Sam Bevan. Cultivating Places distributed nationally by PRX, Public Radio Exchange. Until next week, enjoy the cultivation of your place. I'm Jennifer Jewell. 